Are Christians being persecuted in America? Find out in my interview with former Trump administration official William Wolfe on this edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We're the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 205 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Thursday, July 28th, 2022. Now, just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Our guest tomorrow is Arizona State Senator Wendy Rogers, and we're really looking forward to that. Our guest today is William Wolfe from the Standing for Freedom Center. Mr. Wolfe served as a senior official in the Trump administration, both as a Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense at the Pentagon and as a Director of Legislative Affairs at the Department of State. Prior to his service in the Trump administration, Mr. Wolf worked for Heritage Action for America and as a congressional staffer for three different members of Congress, including the great conservative U.S. Representative Dave Bratt of Virginia. Mr. Wolf has a B.A. in history from Covenant College and is currently finishing his Master's of Divinity at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's from the Charlotte, North Carolina area, which is where I grew up, it's an honor to welcome today's guest, William Wolf, to the Doc Washburn Show. How are you today, sir? Doc, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. I didn't know you were a fellow uh, North Carolinian, even from the Charlotte area. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Grew up in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Graduated from uh, uh, from Independence High School and went to UNC Charlotte. Uh, dropped out three weeks into my senior year to go be a DJ. My mother thought I'd lost her my mind, and she was probably right. But uh, so, so I got to ask, not not that most people listening in Arkansas and Texas and other states <laughs> care one way or the other, but where in the Charlotte area did you grow up? Yeah, that's right. I grew up in the Matthews uh, Weddington area, and I went to high school in Indian Trail, North Carolina, at the uh, Metrolina Christian Academy, which is at uh, First Baptist Church Indian Trail there. So Matthews, Weddington, sort of southeast Charlotte area. I, I, I think I visited the uh, uh, First Baptist Indian Trail one time many years ago for a, for a Christmas uh, presentation. But, uh, yeah, I was in the, in the Mint Hill area, so right down the street. Okay, so in the interest of complete disclosure, you had a thread on Twitter recently claiming that Christians are indeed being persecuted in America, and I, I later found out that uh, you have an article, um, uh, basically the um, uh, of the same vein in at ChristianPost.com. So I appreciate your coming on the show today, so you can make the case to my listeners by citing specific examples of how Christians are being persecuted in America today. 
Well, great. Thank you for having me on, Doc. I think it's a really important issue. Go ahead. Yeah, no, go right ahead. Yeah, so, well, what sparked this was I had seen conversation, and you often see this on what I call sort of the progressive Christian left. They like to claim that the problems Christians are facing in America are our own fault, They because fundamentally they've bought into the sort of the 1619 project narrative of American history and Christian history in America, where they view anybody who's a Christian or who's white as part of the oppressive class. And so if, if anyone who's a Christian in America is, is having anything happen to them, that's unfortunate. Well, it's just their fault. And that's just not true at all. In fact, over the last decade plus, we've seen a mounting effort by the radical secular left through the progressive arm of the Democrat Party and under the administration of President Obama and again under the administration of President Biden now uh, to, to target Christians with the federal government. But it's also happening at the state level. We've seen some very notorious examples, particularly Jack Phillips from Masterpiece um, uh, Cake Shop, you know, he's been targeted numerous times um, out in Colorado. He's been dragged in and out of court for the last decade. And despite having a victory at the Supreme Court in 2018, he's continuing to be sued. And the, the core issue with Jack's case, which is similar to many others, is that he's a business owner exercising his right for commerce in the United States of America. He's also a Christian, so he has a First Amendment right for his complete freedom of religion, not just freedom of worship. But because he's a Christian, that that tells him certain ways he's going to run his business, things he'll do and he'll, things he won't do. And something he won't do is he won't bake a cake to celebrate a homosexual marriage because he doesn't believe that that's biblical and in keeping with the standards of his faith. It's not discrimination. It's his freedom of religion. And the secular leftists refuse to accept that. And so his life has been one uh, one case of litigation after another for the last 10 years. And he's one of the ones who, at this point, has come out on top. But there's been others, like Baronel Stutzman, who runs a uh, flower shop, ran a flower shop, who, after years of litigation, ultimately decided she had to she had to retire and close her business because she found that she could no longer operate as a Christian in the public square in America without facing persecution for her faith. Those are two very noticeable exceptions, but, you know, the way you started the show was even mentioning vaccines, and that's been another huge case over the last year or so where we've seen that Christians who have good faith objections to receiving vaccines that were created um, by fetal cells from aborted babies yeah. uh, decline to get vaccinated because of their religious beliefs, and there are also health concerns as well, and they risk losing their jobs over it. So uh, I could keep giving examples, but I'll pause there if you want to chime in on anything of that. Well, yeah, a, a couple of things. Um, I lost my job with Cumulus Media uh, last fall when they um, they basically rejected my uh, um, my request for a religious exemption based specifically on that, you know, aborted fetal cells. Uh, they sent me back a whole bunch of questions about what, what does your spiritual leader think about this? And I'm like, well, my spiritual leader? I mean, I'm, I'm not in a cult. Uh, I haven't spoken to the pastor and elders of my church about vaccines per se, but they're all pro-life because they're Christian. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I was one of those guys who, uh, lost, a a job and, and had the, uh, uh, you know, the request for religious exemption, um, rejected. Um, also one thing a lot of people don't understand 
especially on the left, about Jack Phillips, Colorado Springs, uh, Masterpiece uh, Cake Shop, is he'll sell anything in the store to anybody who walks in the door, but as a Christian, he's not going to design something endorsing a lifestyle that the Bible uh, condemns. And that's, you know, that's his his religious right, and even though the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in his favor, it, it I don't think it was as uh, positive a ruling as it should have been, so people are still uh, going after him, bringing up new cases. Um, Baron L. Stutzman, who had the uh, the flower shop, I can't remember if it was in Washington State or, or Oregon, I think it was Washington State, uh, unfortunately, yeah, Washington. Yeah, unfortunately lost to the U.S. Supreme Court, um, there was a, a gay guy who came into her flower shop for years. She thought of him as a friend and uh, she sold him flowers for years. And then he announced that he was getting married to a guy. And she just explained to him that because of her faith in Christ, you know, she couldn't design something specifically for that. And he's like, yeah, that's okay. Not a problem. But then, uh, then his boyfriend, uh, freaked out about it. Next thing you know, she's being sued by her, her longtime friend. Um, over her Christian faith. So, you know, certainly Christians in this country are being persecuted. And sometimes, William Wolfe, I wonder when we have people of different political persuasions than we are who reject the notion that Christians are being persecuted, how much of it is willful blindness and how much of it is, well, if I haven't heard about it, then it's not going on. And 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 the the question of where they get their news and how their news is slanted, or news stories that are ignored uh, by the media that they uh, the, the kind of media that they listen to or watch. Well, that's a very good point. I mean, there's a couple of different uh, issues at play here. First is, are they ignorant? And if they're ignorant, it might be due to the news that they're consuming. Yeah. Two, are they aware of it, but they're willfully rejecting it because they actually want to see Christians persecuted? Uh, my prediction for how Christians get persecuted in America is that it goes along these lines. First, they'll say, no, Christians aren't being persecuted. Then they'll say, well, maybe some Christians are being persecuted, but they deserve it. And then they'll say, well, no, actually, Christians are being persecuted, and it's a good thing because we don't want Christians here. We don't want them in the public square. We want them consigned to, you know, only holding their beliefs behind the closed doors of their houses and their their homes and their houses of worship. So yeah. that that is what's happening. But another big issue, I think, and this is what I teased out in my article, is understanding the definition of persecution. I think even many Christians wrongly believe that persecution only occurs when, say, you're being martyred for your faith. But persecution can exist in all sorts of forms. And the Bible makes this clear that, you know, Jesus talks about how, you know, blessed are you when they revile you and they say all kinds of slanderous things against you. Well, that that teaches us that persecution can come in the form of simply being spoken ill of. So persecution can be being spoken ill of, it can be being targeted at your place of worship, and in the most extreme forms, of course, it can also be, you know, rounded up, put on trains, and taken to concentration camps or martyred for your faith. So persecution isn't just one thing. It's not just Daniel in the lion's den, and I think people need to realize that as our American culture gets more hostile to Christians. 
Yeah, no question about that. Um, now, conservatives who do pay attention to the news um, probably are familiar with the Jack Phillips case, Masterpiece Cake Shop out of uh, Colorado Springs, may be familiar with uh, Baron L. Stutzman, uh, the longtime florist in Washington State, may be familiar with uh, uh, Coach Kennedy, the coach who just wanted to uh, – uh, pray after a game on the football field who, who recently, uh, if I recall correctly, his case was upheld by the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, but then there are, other, there are other examples they may not be familiar with. Uh, the Atlanta Fire Chief, uh, Chief of the Atlanta Fire Department, Kelvin Cochran. A lot of people missed that story. Maybe you could share that one with us. Yeah, sure. Uh, that's that's a great example um, Kelvin Cochran is a wonderful man of faith who, you know, was, like you said, the fire chief in Atlanta and exercising his freedom of religion. He sought to have a Bible study um, that nobody was compelled to go to. It wasn't required that anybody attend his Bible study or participate in the materials that he was being, that were being provided yeah. at the Bible study. But uh, for those who did participate, the materials that were provided uh, taught basic things of, you know, about Christian beliefs on sexual morality, historic Orthodox Christian beliefs, but that offended people. And so uh, in the offense, they sought to, uh, you know, claim that he was being discriminatory against homosexuals. Initially, uh, he was suspended for 30 days without pay, and he was ordered to undergo sensitivity training. Uh, then an investigation revealed he actually hadn't discriminated against anyone, but even at the end of his suspension, he was still fired. So uh, ultimately, he sued, and in 2018, the city of Atlanta actually paid him a settlement of $1.2 million in the wake of a federal court ruling. But again here, Doc, what we see is that as soon as that ball starts rolling down the hill, the beginning of the persecution, the claim that Christians are doing something they shouldn't be doing when all they're doing is acting in according to their faith and conscience, it, it creates this whole you know spiral of events in and out of courts, investigation, discovery, litigation, and it really consumes their life. And so you get to the other side of it, even if you get that court ruling, you can't ever get that time back. And so that, that's, that again, is a great example of persecution. And it also shows you how unserious, uh, I would say, that so many Democrats are about the advancement of minorities. They only want that when it's convenient for them. Kelvin Cochran is an African-American brother, fire chief, you know, one of the highest positions of civil service in Atlanta, and that didn't stop them from coming after him when he was saying things that they didn't like. Yeah, and it was actually the mayor of Atlanta, a guy named Kasim Reed, and I don't know if he... Uh, you know, if he claims to be a, a Christian or not, but it was the mayor of Atlanta who fired the uh, the chief of the Atlanta Fire Department, um, you know, because of Atlanta Fire Chief Kelvin Cochran's faith. And this, I think, um, foreshadows uh, a different problem. Uh, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is an offense to people who don't believe it. I mean, that's something that uh, our Lord warned us about. He said, you know, if they if they treat the master this way, uh, don't be surprised they treat the servants the same way. And there are a number of um, uh, high-profile uh, 
leaders of the Christian faith who are on television or on radio, uh, and if they uh, if they preach the gospel, if they if they teach what the Bible says about sexual morality, then they're going to offend people. And uh, you know, you, you wonder at what point the the other shoe is going to drop, and somebody is going to try to uh, you know, get them off the airwaves. Well, that's that's exactly right. And post Obergefell, this became a real issue, and there was, um, I'd say, a rather uh, weak response effort that was initially undertaken with a piece of legislation called the First Amendment Defense Act that was uh, circulating in 2016 in the post-Obergefell world. And all that legislation tried to do was to constrain, restrain the federal government from discriminating against Christians or people of any, you know, faith or conscience who continue to believe in the historic definition of marriage, the only definition of marriage as as being between one man and one woman. This bill sought to say that the federal government could not, you know, discriminate against people who believe that, couldn't deny federal funding to Christian schools, et cetera, et cetera. And that bill never passed, even when the Republicans controlled the House and the Senate and the presidency. Um, a law like that never made it across the finish line. So as it stands today, in a post-Obergefell world, um, Christians are under the gun, so to speak. At, at any point in time, there could be an effort taken to persecute and discriminate against them for continuing to hold to, like you said, historic traditional Christian beliefs on sexual morality and marriage. And so we will just have to keep uh, keep coming back to our First Amendment rights and uh, and standing strong even in the face of this persecution. Yeah, uh, for for listeners, um, uh, the Obergefell uh, decision that our guest referred to was the U.S. Supreme Court decision about uh, six years ago, I think, that um, basically told state legislatures uh, you can no longer define marriage as between one man and one woman. Um, there's nothing in the U.S. Constitution which excused this decision, but uh, like Roe v. Wade, they wanted to do what they wanted to do, which is why Justice Thomas, uh, in the Dobbs decision, um, overturning, or in his concurrence, I think, overturning Roe v. Wade, said, look, there's some other decisions we have to look at, some decisions this court has made, which have nothing to do with the Constitution, uh, and which violate the Tenth Amendment and take away uh, the, um, the power for state legislatures uh, to, to pass laws. And, and that, of course, seriously would be one of them. Um, a couple other things you mentioned in, in your thread on Twitter about Christians being, uh, being persecuted uh, in America today. Uh, what, uh, what was the situation with Hobby Lobby? Oh, yeah, with, uh, with Hobby Lobby. Let me, let me refresh myself on that real quick here. Um, I believe that you know Hobby Lobby is run by Christians, right? And uh, they wanted to make sure to provide uh, they wanted to make sure to provide health care uh, coverage to their uh, to their employees. That oh was yeah, in yeah. It was it was with, um, they, they 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 wanted insurance to cover all forms of birth control, including forms of birth control which could reasonably. Um, be thought of as being uh, causing abortion, abortifacients. Yeah, I remember that now. Yeah, yeah, that's right. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to make sure I, I wanted to make sure I had that straight between Little Sisters of the Poor, which it's a very similar case. And this is all sending back to you know to Obamacare, right? If you if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. That was a lie. And there are many other things from Obamacare that were seriously problematic, including requiring private organizations, even private Christian organizations like Hobby Lobby, like Little Sisters of the Poor, to spend money providing health care coverage that included the uh, paying for uh, abortive fashions. These are, these are they, they're called contraceptives, but it's, it's things like Plan B, and it's other things that can potentially uh, terminate an already uh, living embryo. So Hobby Lobby objected to that and sued, and I believe they, they ultimately prevailed in their case but again, it's just an example of how uh, if you hold to classic Christian beliefs, depending on who's in power, the government's going to come after you. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that is uh, that is a horrific thing. And um, one of the things we want to do when, when we return, um, after we take a short break here with our guest, William Wolf, a uh, former uh, member of the Trump administration, is talk about how did we get to this point in American society, and and what should should we as believers, as Christians, uh, do about it? We're speaking with William Wolf, formerly of the uh, Trump administration. I'm going to do what the uh, the Net2Phone app calls parking your car, which every time I tried it before we started the show today, somehow got us disconnected. But maybe we won't. <laughs> maybe we won't be disconnected this time. So. More coming up with William Wolf here in mere moments as the Doc Washburn Show continues. And we really, really, really appreciate our advertisers who are also our friends. If you try to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions and then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live, RedRiverYourWay.com. You will be glad you did. All right, let me ask you this. Does your financial advisor take the time to listen and get to know you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situations change? When you work with Jonathan Presswood, he focuses on what's important to you. He uses an established process to help you achieve your unique goals, whether that's preparing for retirement, 
making your money last in retirement, planning your estate or inheritance, preparing for the unexpected or anything else, Jonathan Presswood can help. Now, what should you do if you leave a job and have a 401k or other retirement plan? Or if you're getting close to retirement or already in retirement, call my friend Jonathan Presswood today. He'll help you create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And he'll partner together with you to help your strategy stay on track no matter what life throws at you. Listen, we can all dream of having a perfect retirement, but how many of us will actually experience it? No matter where you are today, Jonathan Presswood is offering a free retirement analysis to figure out where you'd like to be and what it will take to get you there, and there's no obligation. Contact Jonathan Presswood, a financial advisor with Edward Jones Investments, today at 501-303-4844. Again, that's 501-303-4844. Don't wait. Call Jonathan Presswood today at 501-303-4844. Now, if you're like me, you can't remember phone numbers, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com. Just click on the link to Jonathan Presswood at Edward Jones. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. All right, thanks again to some of our advertisers there, Jonathan Presswood from Edward Jones Financial, and, of course, uh, uh, our good buddy Mitch Ward at RedRiverYourWay.com. Our guest our guest is William Wolf, former administration official of the uh, Trump administration, um, and we are uh, delighted to have him on with us. He's also with the uh, Standing for Freedom Center. We've been talking about specific examples of Christians being persecuted in the public square for their faith in the United States of America in the 21st century. Mr. Wolf, how do you think we got here? Well, Doc, that's a great question. And I'd say that there's, you know, uh, there's a variety of different resources that could, you could read to get an understanding of how we got here. One that I read recently uh, is a book called Primal Screams by Mary Eberstadt. And she explores how the sexual revolution really fueled the rise of identity politics in the United States. And so if you roll the clock back to the sexual revolution and the cultural revolution of the 60s and the 70s, with, with, a, with a downgrading of an understanding of the importance of marriage, uh, the, the permanency of marriage, the rise of no-fault divorce, the rise of you know the pill and contraceptive, a breakdown of the family, what happened is, that destroyed the natural family and good and necessary social hierarchies and relationships. And as, as, as marriage essentially went from being a commitment uh, to care for any offspring that may be produced, any children in a permanent exclusive monogamous fashion to marriage, just being uh, an engagement of desire, affection and love. So if you love someone, you get married and if you don't love them, you get a divorce as our society began to understand marriage as simply a matter of convenience, it lost its historical religious rooting, particularly the Christian teaching of it. And so that paved the way for, down the line, the legalization of same-sex marriage under the Obergefell ruling in 2015. And so it's really, as I think, the Obergefell ruling, in some ways, was the culmination of one massive wave of the sexual revolution, and now we've moved into the transgender wave, a second wave of the sexual revolution. But these are the currents that have led us to the point where 
you know, faithful Christians who continue to hold to the Bible's clear teaching yeah. on marriage and human sexual human sexuality being outgrouped. Yeah, no, I I, I think you're right with that. I, I would also point to um, I would also point to uh, Justice Hugo Black, who um, uh, President Franklin Roosevelt uh, put on the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, and, uh, Justice Black, of course, was a, a, he was a Klansman. He was a a current member at the time of the KKK. Uh, and he wrote, uh, he wrote some, some decisions, um, where he said, yeah, we have to have a strict wall of separation between, uh, church and state. And a lot of liberals these days think there's something about that in the, in the constitution, which there isn't, um, so I, I would agree with with uh, with everything you're saying about uh, how marriage uh, is no longer uh, looked at as being as important as it should be an institution in our society. But I would also even go back to some of the things the U.S. Supreme Court was doing uh, before the '60s with 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 guys like like Hugo Black. Um, but I guess I guess the the important thing for for people of faith at this point is um, what? where do we go from here? I mean, it's one thing to say, well, you know, Alliance um, for Defending Freedom uh, is is representing uh, Christians in a lot of these cases in the courts, so it would be a good idea to, uh, you know, contribute to them financially, their nonprofit, that sort of thing. Uh, but, uh, but big picture, uh, what do you recommend for, uh, for believers to do in this strange new world, um, senior citizens looking around at America today and the religious persecution are thinking, this is not the America that I remember from my childhood. I never would have seen this coming. Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I think you raise a wonderful point as well in terms of the legal uh, the legal understanding of the separation of the church and state, which, you know, if you go back to our founders, their intention was never to keep the church out of the public square or to stop religious belief from informing and impacting and petitioning our government uh, to defend uh, basic human values and decency and morality in the public square in our legislation. The point was to stop the government from either persecuting churches or establishing one sanctioned religion or church at the expense of the other. So Christians need to, first of all, educate themselves. We need to know what our rights are. We need to understand that there really isn't a wall of separation between church and state in America. However, we are guaranteed under the First Amendment the free exercise thereof of our religious beliefs, and that Congress shall make no law you know, pertaining to religion, i.e., uh, saying this religion is valid or this isn't. Obviously, that has some limitations. We're not going to allow Satanists to practice child sacrifice in public? Of course not. Um, So first of all, Christians need to educate themselves. Second, Christians need to be willing to litigate. Uh, Christians need to be willing to take their persecutors to court. We see that the Apostle Paul exercised his right as a Roman citizen, even though he was Jewish by birth, he was also a Roman citizen by birth, and he exercised his right to appeal to Caesar. So Christians need to be willing to appeal to Caesar. Also, I've I've thought for a while now that Christians need to um, develop a robust theology of resistance that doesn't always include going to court to sue for our rights, but includes continuing to exercise our rights and require the government to take us to court 
You know, if the government says or if someone's trying to say we can't do something because of our Christian faith, I say we tell them, no, we can, and we keep on doing it, and if they want to stop us, they can take us to court, which is what has happened, unfortunately, in some of these cases as well. So we need to educate ourselves. We need to be willing to litigate. We need to also prepare ourselves to resist um, where appropriate. And then I think we need to pray, absolutely. Actually, I should have put that first. We need to pray that God would give us grace and strength and wisdom to withstand the increasing cultural pressures to capitulate and to um, to to uh, weaken our faith, and we need to be prepared to stand uh, for our sake and for the sake of our children. Yeah, amen, amen, absolutely. I think there are a number of pastors who are afraid to say anything about politics from the pulpit because of something Lyndon Baines Johnson did in 1954 before he was a president when he was still a United States senator. It's called the Johnson Amendment. And uh, to best my recollection, there are a number of Baptist preachers in Texas who spoke out against him quite vociferously because he was a liberal, and he didn't appreciate that. So he got a law passed through Congress um, saying that somehow or another, if you speak out on politics from the pulpit, you lose your 501c3 status. And I think there are a number of pastors in this country who are afraid to do anything, um, uh, uh, you know, speak out, I should say, conservative pastors, because Democrat politicians running for office routinely, routinely uh, campaign in black churches, and that's not a problem. Um, But uh, I think there are a number of uh, pastors who are afraid the IRS will come down on like a ton of bricks take away their 501c3 status if they speak out uh, 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 about politics from the pulpit. Yeah, that's right, and and that's not accurate. Um, obviously, pastors are free to address political issues from the pulpit. You know, we, we have a current tax code and construct that constrains certain um, political speech if you're going to preserve a tax-exempt status that does apply to churches, and that really only applies to the explicit endorsement of candidates or legislation, and in no way um, stops pastors from speaking to the political issues of our day. As Christians, we know sort of two things. One, everything's theological. God's Word informs everything we believe. It should inform everything we believe. And quite frankly, frankly, everything's political as well. There's no avoiding it. There's no issue in, in you know modern America society that's not really being debated and contested. So pastors, I hope, would be applying all of God's Word to all of life every Sunday as needed and as the text informs them. And so pastors shouldn't shy away from informing their congregants how to think in accordance with the Scripture on any given issue that may or may not be political. However, they do need to, you know, they do need to respect the the laws of the land in terms of not endorsing uh, from the pulpit political candidates per se. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, we're talking to William Wolf, a uh, former Trump administration official, and uh, also he's with the um, uh, the Standing for Freedom Center. Um, if people want to find, well, uh, before I uh, wrap things up, uh, is there anything else that you would want to share with our uh, our listeners today? I, I know that you uh, uh, did a column recently over ChristianPost.com about how we should not turn away 
from the barbarity, from the, uh, the, the savagery of, of abortion, which is still going on in this country, regardless of the fact that the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Well, that's right, yeah. And so everything I write usually is uh, published originally at Standing for Freedom Center, and I have good friends over at the Christian Post who tend to rerun my pieces as well. But make sure to find my writing at standingforfreedom.com. But uh, in terms of the abortion issue, well, first of all, we can praise God that one month ago, more or less, uh, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, thank- thankfully, and due to President Donald Trump's uh, three Supreme Court appointments, which he eerily predicted would happen if he won in this debate with Clinton. He said, if I win, I think we get two to three appointments and we overturn Roe. And praise God, that exact- that's exactly what happened. So now in many states, primarily Republican states, I think exclusively Republican-controlled states, many trigger laws have gone into effect to essentially end abortion um, by and large in those states. However, in states controlled by Democrats who are committed to this barbaric practice of what's essentially modern-day human sacrifice, abortion is still very legal and very allowed even up until the moment of birth all the way through nine months in places like California, New York, Colorado, etc., so the pro-life movement has, we have got a big uh, task ahead of us. It's a more state-by-state effort now. We need to uh, attack them from all angles. We need to try to elect uh, elect representatives in blue states that will help end abortion. We need to le- uh, litigate in blue states to try to roll back some of their laws um, now under the Dobbs ruling, now that we've removed the federal enforcement of legal abortion. So I'd say pro-life Christians have won a big victory. I will, I will never use the phrase, our work just starts. I've heard people say that, and I don't like it at all, because the pro-life movement has been fighting hard. The, the abolitionists, the abortion abolitionists, have been fighting hard for, for five decades now, and we had a huge victory. Praise God. The work does continue, however, on a state-by-state basis, and also we can think of, on a national level, pursuing a constitutional right to life under the 14th Amendment, which is something that's fascinating. I'll, I'll conclude with this, uh, Doc. Thanks uh, for you know indulging me here. And that's um, the 14th Amendment is what was used to justify abortion in, in a thoroughly unconstitutional way. However, many legal scholars would argue the 14th Amendment could actually be used to ban abortion because it talks about us having a right to life, and that life begins at conception. Yeah, you know, and so I, I gotta I gotta ask you about that. Um, after the draft of the Dobbs decision was leaked, which was clearly an attempt to um, intimidate conservative justices, and we still don't know who leaked it. But anyway, um, Mitch McConnell, Senate Minority Leader, who every once in a while says says something right, he said, well, you know... Um, if Roe is indeed overturned, then, of course, some state legislatures are going to move to regulate, perhaps even restrict and outlaw abortion, something we've hoped and prayed for um, for all these years. And he said, and you know, I mean, we could look at a passing a law in the U.S. Congress to outlaw abortion, you know, federally across the country. Well, um, as soon as that came out, the governor of the state I happen to be in, Arkansas, Asa Hutchinson, went on ABC's This Week. Uh, Martha Raddatz was filling in for George Stepp on all of us. 
And um, Governor Hutchinson said, oh, no, 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 no. No, we wouldn't want to see Congress pass a law outlawing abortion in all 50 states. Oh, no, no, no. This is a state's rights issue, and the state legislatures should decide what they want to do in each state. And I, I had a problem with that because here you have a supposedly pro-life conservative Republican governor, and people in Arkansas know the A's Hutchins, certainly no conservative, saying, I want babies to continue to be murdered in blue states. And hardly a peep from uh, from anybody uh, uh, about it. Maybe it's just because nobody watches ABC this week. Maybe it's because nobody pays attention to uh, Governor Hutchison of Arkansas. But, you know, I'm all about the Tenth Amendment and everything, but I don't think that a federal law banning the, the killing of children uh, in all 50 states and the territories uh, would somehow be unconstitutional. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, I agree with you entirely. That That is not in any way the principled conservative or Christian position that it's it's just fine for babies to continue to be killed in blue states. It's not fine. There is no right, uh, there's no constitutional right, there's no state-level right for you to take the life of another human being. And yeah. an unborn baby is a human being deserving of equal protection under the law wherever that unborn baby happen, happens to be living, whether that's in California, in Arkansas, or in Oklahoma. And so I would strongly disagree with that position taken by the governor of Arkansas. And I would say that although we recognize in the Roe ruling in 1973 that the Supreme Court did uh, insert itself into a national conversation and right. circumvent state rights or state uh, state conversation, there, we do need, there is no state right for, for an abortion. And we do, we should, we, if states won't step up and make abortion illegal, you know, individually in all 50 states, then Congress should absolutely step in. I mean, could you imagine after having fought the Civil War if some people had again tried to argue that, well, some states should be able to continue to have slavery even if others don't. It's not really a federal issue. It's a states' rights issue. I mean, that was the argument that the Confederacy made, and we fought a war over it, and we ended slavery. And uh, hopefully we don't have to fight a war to end abortion, but we absolutely should end abortion in every single state in our nation. Absolutely. And, and by the way, just for our listeners outside the state of Arkansas, this is uh, Governor Asa Hutchinson who last year vetoed a bill to outlaw puberty blockers and castration of children in Arkansas because Walmart and the Arkansas Chamber of Commerce wanted him to, went on uh, Tucker Carlson's show and lied about it. Tucker proved he was lying about it. And yet somehow he thinks he's running for the Republican nomination for president. So uh, uh, Asa Hutchinson gets the Don Quixote Award for tilting at windmills of 2022, as far as I'm concerned. Um one last question. I know we're going longer than probably either one of us had planned for, but a few weeks ago, and I appreciate your forbearance, a few weeks ago I interviewed uh, Reverend Joseph Foreman, who was one of the founders of the Operation Rescue um, pro-life movement back in the late 80s. And something he pointed out in the interview, which I had not thought about, was that some of these red states, some of these Republican-run states are going to outlaw abortion to one extent or another 
And yet, there are large blue cities in some of these red states where the prosecutors probably are not going to enforce this law. Think possibly Dallas or Houston or Atlanta. Um, And he said, so pro-lifers are going to have to still uh, be out there uh, peacefully standing their ground outside the, the abortion clinics. That had not crossed my mind once he said it. It made perfect sense to me. Uh, who knows, Miami, Tampa, whatever. Um, your, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, uh, that's, a, that's a disaster. Obviously, we need to continue to protect the rights of everybody to, to protest. Wouldn't you agree? Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. No question about it. Yeah. I think that just underscores this. Um, we, a lot, a lot of, a lot of even Republican elected officials have a real loser mentality. And oh yeah. They're willing to negotiate away all sorts of freedoms and rights that they should be protecting and expanding instead. And this just sounds like another example of that. And no question about it. Uh, William Wolf, thanks so much for coming on the program uh, once again, and uh, give people the the website. Uh, once more, if they want to uh, look at some of your, your columns. Yeah, that's right. You can find my uh, writing at the Standing for Freedom Center at standingforfreedom.com. That's standingforfreedom.com. And then you can follow me on Twitter at uh, twitter.com backslash William underscore E underscore Wolf with an E on the end. So that's William underscore E underscore Wolf with the E on the end of it. And I would love to hear from anybody who has questions or comments there. Fantastic. William Wolf, God bless you. We appreciate you. Standingforfreedom.com. Look forward to speaking with you again down the road. Have a great day. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for your fight. Thank you for bringing attention and awareness to the issues facing Christians in this country, including issues uh, continuing with vaccine persecution like like you yourself have experienced. We appreciate your voice in doing what's right by God and the country. Thank you, sir. God bless you and Godspeed. All right. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I I appreciate the opportunity uh, to do interviews like that. Again, Arizona State Senator Wendy Rogers scheduled to be on the program tomorrow, and she has been a huge champion of election integrity, uh, concerns about election fraud. And so Wendy Rogers on the Doc Washburn Show at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, on the live stream tomorrow. Uh, Once again, we really, really, really appreciate our friends, our advertisers here on the Doc Washburn Show. Hey, I'd like to help you with some health issues. Do you have migraines? Neck pain? Back pain? Vertigo? Acid reflux? Eczema? Problems with your blood sugar? Maybe even hay fever? Okay, let's do a little test. Look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Are you tilting your head to the left or the right instead of sitting up or standing up straight? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines, neck pain, and hay fever. Let me explain to you how it works because it's the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas. 
which only weighs two ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, reproductive system, circulatory system, even digestive system. And yes, it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, acid reflux, eczema, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar. Do yourself a favor. If you're in Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted, because you probably do. If you're outside Central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on Find a Doctor Near You. And I sure hope you can. All right, I, I love this part of the show. When I get to say... Hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Tweet of the Day brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way, a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online and have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States of America. All right, today's Tweet of the Day, courtesy of uh, RNC Research, is from Maria Bartiromo. She's on the Fox Business Network, but on Sunday morning she also has a program on the Fox News Channel, and she's talking about the recession Check it out. The bottom line here is the economy is troubled. Don't forget, three million fewer people are working today than before the pandemic. We are producing less oil than before the pandemic. And we are no longer in growth mode. We are in a shrinking mode. The economy got smaller, not just in the first quarter, but the second quarter as well. Dana, you just mentioned the White House tried to manage this, get in front of the number, tell us a recession is not a recession. We all know what a recession is. This is what economists have counted on for as long as I've been covering this, and that's 30 years. Two quarters of contraction is a recession. No matter how you feel about it or no matter what you want to call it, people are feeling pressure. They're they're paying 35% more for a dozen eggs than they were last year. They're paying 18% more for meat and fish than they were last year. And so those costs are creating what we call demand destruction. Demand destruction. She said, we all know what a recession is. Now, the White House is in the process of saying, no, you don't. You don't know what a recession is. The same economic advisors for Joe Biden are they have always said that a recession is two quarters in a row of negative economic growth and now they're saying oh no 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 that's uh, that's not the definition of a recession at all nope 
That's not the definition of a recession. No, we never said that. But, of course, they always did. They've always said that. And, of course, the White House press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, bless her heart, not very bright, is saying, oh, no, no, that's not the definition of a recession because that's what she's told to say. Now, just so you know, Karine Jean-Pierre is the same person who, before I went on vacation, and by the way, let me send out a big shout-out, a big thank you to my friend Donnie Copeland, who filled in for me when I was down in Florida going to my nephew's wedding. Uh, I should have said something at the start of the show about that, but I really appreciate uh, Donnie Copeland doing the yeoman's work and doing the Doc Washburn show while I was out of state at my nephew's wedding. Anyway, this same White House press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, referred to Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas the other day as Judge Thompson. Not Thomas, but Thompson. She's... uh, she just doesn't have a clue. Doesn't have a clue. But that's okay because she doesn't get paid to have a clue. She gets paid to lie. And this is something you're always going to see. This is something you're always going to see with the Biden regime. That is, with a straight face, they lie. With a straight face, they lie. And I'm sure they they sleep soundly because they get paid and they understood what was going to be required of them going into this. You got to lie, and you got to lie convincingly, and can't break a sweat. You know, can't can't even can't even be bothered about the fact that you're lying. So that's what uh, this regime does, and again. It really troubles me when I hear people that are supposedly conservatives in the media refer to Joe Biden as president. How can I call a man president when I know that he and his regime stole it from the rightful president? I can't. I can't do that. I can't do it, and I won't do it. And anybody who doesn't think the election was stolen is either not paying attention or is willing to ignore the facts. Now, there's a new documentary out over at theepochtimes.com, E-P-O-C-H, theepochtimes.com the real story of January 6th. 
and Epic Times documentary. And I'm hearing great things about it. And my wife and I are going to be watching it as soon as we possibly can. The real story of January 6th, a documentary by the Epic Times, reveals the truth that has been hidden from the American people. While a narrative has been set that what took place that day was an insurrection, key events and witnesses have been ignored till now. This documentary takes an unvarnished look at police use of force and the deaths that resulted in some measure from the police use of force. The film asks tough questions about who was responsible for the chaos that day. With compelling interviews and exclusive video footage, the documentary tells the real story of January 6th. The film is narrated by Joshua Phillip, host of Crossroads on Epoch TV and a senior investigative reporter at the Epoch Times. Jasper Fakart, editor-in-chief of the Epoch Times, said there has been a narrative perpetuated about January 6th that omits many of the facts about what happened that day. With in-depth interviews and exclusive video footage, we take an objective look at the issues, the people, and the impacts of the events. The film takes a close look at the shooting of 35-year-old Air Force veteran Ashley Babbitt and the deaths of three other supporters of former President Trump. It analyzes the police response to the massive crowds and use of force around the U.S. Capitol. It examines the human impacts of January 6th, including the suicide of one defendant and the long pretrial imprisonment of dozens of others that also investigates claims that some attacks on the Capitol and police were carried out by unindicted suspicious actors. Yeah, what's up with Ray Epps? And not only what's up with Ray Epps, who is encouraging people to go into the Capitol building. But what's up with a guy who was on top of the scaffolding with a bullhorn telling people to get into the Capitol building? And why haven't these guys been indicted? And why haven't these guys been brought into Congress for questioning under oath? By the way, Cash Patel, formerly of the... uh, Trump administration is in this documentary along with Julie Kelly, and both of them are well known for being truth tellers. But all you have to do is go over to theepochtimes.com, E-P-O-C-H, theepochtimes.com, if you want to see the real story of January 6th, uh, the documentary. And I highly recommend it. I highly recommend it. Um. I'm getting some uh, comments here on the live stream at the Podbean app. Hi, Doc. Hope you had a great time on vacation. We do love Donnie Copeland as your replacement. He's so knowledgeable, and we learned so much from him. Excellent. Excellent. It's always good to have somebody good fill in for you. Somebody else says, do you know anything else regarding the Mark Middleton homicide? Um. Well, I, I don't know for sure it's a homicide. I mean, it sure looks like one. All I know, because Little Rock mainstream media 
has refused to even mention that uh, well-known personality in the Little Rock area, Mark Middleton, even passed away. They wouldn't even mention that he passed away. Much less that the circumstances revolving around his untimely passing are very suspicious. So all I know is what I've read from RadarOnline.com, and I certainly shared that with you guys on the show. Um, Mark Middleton was in the Clinton White House. He worked directly for uh, Clinton Chief of Staff, uh, Mac McClarty. Uh, he had a very um, prosperous business, Middleton Heating and Air in central Arkansas, and he was found dead in a remote wooded area that was owned by a nonprofit in central Arkansas. They said uh, he was hung with uh, an electrical, electrical extension cord but also had a uh, shotgun blast to the chest. And they also said that he was the guy that got Jeffrey Epstein into the Clinton White House on seven, seven separate occasions. So the last we see from uh, RadarOnline.com was from a month ago, June 22nd. An Arkansas judge issued a preliminary injunction sealing the police report and crime scene photographs taken during the investigation into the suspicious suicide of Bill Clinton's former presidential advisor linked to perv Jeffrey Epstein. Little Rock businessman Mark Middleton, who introduced the late perv to the former president, was found May 7th hanging from a tree with a shotgun blast through his chest and a cheap Dollar Tree-type extension cord around his neck in what investigators had determined to be suicide, but then they reopened the investigation. So, I mean, that's the last I've heard. You can go to RadarOnline.com and and, uh, access the article. That's the last I've heard. So, I mean, clearly, you know, I I do a national podcast, but the connection to Bill Clinton, the connection to Jeffrey Epstein, uh, clearly makes it a national story. So we'll continue to follow it. It's good to be back on the Doc Washburn Show at docwashburn.com for my uh, vacation, going to my nephew's wedding in Central Florida again. Thank you so much to Donnie Copeland for filling in. Our scheduled guest for tomorrow, Wendy Rogers, state senator out of Arizona, who I'm sure will have a lot to say about election fraud and election integrity. Arizona's primary coming up this coming Tuesday, August 2nd. You've been listening to Episode 205 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode, of the all-new Doc Washburn show, show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it 
to Mansur's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier X. And that's the way it is. Thursday, July 28th, 2022.